How's everyone doing? Good. Good news, I don't have the noisy water bottle anymore. V's like, why don't you just have them give you a cup of water, a regular cup of water? I thought, hmm, never thought about that. <laughs> when I first started doing anything up here, even worship, I used to get so nervous, so I didn't want to hold the water because with the cup because my hand would shake and then the water would spill, but anyways. So how's everyone doing today? Good. Happy Father's Day to some of the fathers here. Thank you. Isn't it sad? Mother's Day, we had a nice setup in the back. They all forget the fathers. No one cares. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, haven't heard that in a while. I immediately felt 20 years older. Okay, so <laughs> let, let me start with a word of prayer. We can begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, Lord, and you're with us all the time, and you're our Father. I mean, what else good news do we have to say, Lord? So we thank you for that role you play in our lives, and we believe, Lord, not that you're just a regular father, but you're a good father, not just that, but you're a good, good father as we sing sometimes. We love you so much, Lord. We're so thankful to be in your house. We're so thankful to be in your presence. I pray that you shift our attention today on what you want us to hear, Lord. I pray that you use me as a, a vessel to speak whatever you've put on my heart, Lord, and give me the right words, the right phrases, the right examples to uh, just share what simply is your word, Lord. And um, not just that, Lord, give us the, uh, so that we just take it and we apply it to our lives and not just become a head knowledge, Lord. Thank you for this day one more time. Bless all the fathers here and the fathers who aren't here. In Jesus' mighty, precious name we pray. Amen. A lot of people are out of town, right? I'm expecting some good souvenirs from Europe, from wherever they are, so I'm excited. No, I'm kidding. All right, so uh, I think today's probably the last day. I want to thank Vahe because he was supposed to speak today, and, I s and uh, he said, you know, do you have anything else? I said one more, I think, because... After today, you know, the kid's going to come, and I probably won't be able to share for a couple weeks at least. So we've been talking about faith, and do you all feel like you have a lot more faith? No? Okay, we failed. We failed in, these, uh, in this series. No, I'm just kidding. So we've been talking about faith, and faith is really the foundation of our Christian life. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Christianity is a life of faith from beginning to end, and at least I'm starting to really come to see that, how it's a life from faith to faith. I love that. From faith to faith, we, we start the journey in faith, we walk by faith, and we come to a completion in faith. We don't self-examine and see, where am I at today? We, by faith, believe what God has done for us, and we accept it, and believe that the finished product, which that's what he sees, is going to come to a reality in our lives one day. As long as we have faith in that, I think we're on a, a great start. I was reading in uh, Hebrews 11 where it's talking about the heroes of faith. You know, Abraham is the father of faith, right? Isn't Abraham the father of faith? Didn't him and Sarah have so many moments in their life where they lacked faith? One of the biggest blunders we see in the Bible is when genius Sarah says, well, and usually when we start looking and the time is ticking and God is not working, fear creeps in, and then we think to ourselves, how can we speed up the process? <laughs> Don't you ever want to speed up God's process? I'm always like, God, you're so slow. Hurry. In case you haven't realized it by now, God doesn't do anything fast. God is slow moving because he brings us to a point that we wholeheartedly trust him. But Sarah obviously reaches a point where she just doesn't have faith anymore. Or maybe she does have faith, but she thinks she has to do something. So brilliant idea. Why don't you have a child with my servant and I'll raise him as my own? And Abraham's like, yeah, let's do this. You know, he's obviously not, not objecting. <laughs> But what kind of an idea, <laughs> what kind of a crazy idea? See, 
fear makes us do crazy things. It makes us do things that we usually wouldn't do. No normal person would suggest something like that, but when we're scared, when we have fear, we make wild decisions. But the point I'm trying to make is that when we come to Hebrews and we read about the life of faith that Abraham and Sarah lived, guess what's missing? You don't hear anything about Hagar. You don't hear anything about Ishmael. You don't hear anything that, oh, they lacked faith. They fell. You just see a life of faith. And God looks at the finished product, and all he wants to know and see is that we walk by faith, and when we fall, we pick ourselves back up, go into his presence, ask for forgiveness, move on, and continue in faith. He's not going to hold, 10 years ago you lacked faith, you made a bad decision. He's not going to hold that against you in the end. In the end, he sees the finished product, and I don't know, that really encouraged me, because irrespective of the mistakes we make and taking things into our own hands, and even the lack of faith. We can pick ourselves up, we can exercise faith, believe in what the Word says, and continue the journey, right? So our faith, or our life of faith, begins at salvation in, by having faith in what He did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And i got to repeat this one more time, but faith releases power, church. When we exercise faith in what God says, it releases power. So something he did 2,000 years ago can become ours today if we simply believe, right? It says you are saved by, by grace you have been saved, but through faith. So faith activates spiritual realities. It's our job simply to believe. We gotta just learn to sit back and believe. That I, mean, that I know that just didn't even sit right because sitting back, we think, oh, I have to do nothing. But just believing is the biggest action we can do. That's a big enough action that we can do. I love this. Um, you know, you and I have entered the rest of God. We've entered his rest. You know what that means? That we can rest in him and what he's done for us. Our Christian life didn't start with a do. It started with a done. We began rested in him. Hebrews 4, 2 says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. It's talking about people who heard the news. But it says, but the message they heard was of no value to them. They still reverted back to doing something, and I got to do something, and I got to please the Lord. Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. I don't know about you, but rest sounds so good. It's liberating to just sit there and accept what Christ has done for us. Amen? Uh-oh, I still see, I feel like we just don't want to fully do that. We rest in what Jesus did and who we are in him. I love how the Bible says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. We got to start thinking of ourselves as dead. Look at yourself. The moment you have a weakness... Oh, I'm so impatient. Yes, you were very impatient. You're dead. Consider yourself dead. Consider the old man dead. And imagine that there's a life in you now. The, the perfect human being is living in you right now. With all the qualities, peace lives in you, strength lives in you, joy lives in you, long-suffering lives in you, perseverance lives in you, Loving people lives in you. It all lives in you. The moment we start considering ourselves dead because we can't. I could never do all those things. I'm sorry, but the old Arlen was very rowdy. The old Arlen was very, I mean, you told me I have a, there's an Armenian saying, you have an eyebrow on your forehead, I would have let you have it. You know? But was Christ like that? No. So I can't rely on Arlen 
because it would be way too hard for Arlen to try to turn the other cheek, for example. But Christ in me, the hope of glory, has already done it. So I sit back and I believe that he has put those qualities in me, and when we start having faith in who lives in us and what lives in us, slowly through our circumstances, God will allow those things to become practical realities in our life. Hamlet gave the best testimony last Sunday. You know, he just, the natural person wants to pick up the phone, call the person, and just let him have it. But when you're responsive to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit directs you, gives you the grace to do what he wants you to do, you're able to listen and respond in a way that, like the bracelet says, what would Jesus do? It sounds corny, but it's true. What would he do? And you're able to do it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Uh-oh. But Christ lives in me. But what does that mean? Is it saying that we're mashed potatoes or something? No, the next verse says, now the life I live, it's still saying you're a human being. You have your personality. You're unique. God loves you. All those things. Yeah, you live your life. But how do we live? I live by faith in the Son of God. So I live my life, yes. I make choices, yes. But I live by faith in what lives in me, and that's the driving force. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Adam was created on the sixth day. His very first day on earth, next day was God resting. Isn't it interesting how God created Adam to not do something right off the bat. First learn to rest in God and the realities in him and then the doing will come later. So our first or the second slide I guess is one verse that I haven't shared actually in this series. It says 11, Hebrews 11, 6 and without faith, how many of you want to be pleasing to God? Don't you want to please God? We can't satisfy him. Only the blood of Jesus satisfies him. And we're saved by grace, so nothing you do or don't do is going to change the fact that you're going to heaven. But our life on earth can either satisfy him or dissatisfy him. He looks at us, he looks at our choices, what we're doing, and he's satisfied or not. So it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, Hypothetically speaking, if let's just say you are somebody who is very quick to forgive. We know the Bible says be quick to forgive, right? If you are quick to forgive, is God, is God going to be pleased? Yeah, he'll be pleased, right? If we exercise thankfulness, will God be pleased? Yeah, exactly. But let's say we do all that, but we don't have faith. He won't be pleased. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists. I think we're all past that point, right? We all believe God exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I was thinking, thinking about what does earnestly seeking him, what, what do I seek, what do I find when I'm earnestly seeking him? The more I seek who lives in me, the more I seek who Christ is, I start finding my identity in him. Seeking him, you start finding out who you are in him. And it starts kind of removing that pressure of the old man because you start really seeing that old man crucified. So we accept it by faith. We accept by faith all the qualities, let's just say, of Christ that he's put in us, right? or all his promises in the word of God, then he rewards us. He rewards us for diligently focusing and seeking those things. He rewards us by allowing those realities to develop in us. Yes? I use this example, but I think it's a really good example because it helped me really understand. We all, every human being has muscle in their body. Right? We all have muscle. Maybe it doesn't show, but we all have it. Now, the life of God in us, 
we have it. Does it matter that we see it or not on the outside? No. But the more we have faith that we have it, we exercise, like we're working out weights, for instance, he starts allowing that personality of his to develop in us and to reflect out of us. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So it's saying you're trying to improve the old self, but it's still on a process of being corrupted. It's getting worse and worse. Doesn't that just sound kind of pointless to try to fix it at this point, right? But you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Being righteous and holy is not that I'm going to make the old Arlen righteous and holy. It's accepting the righteousness and holiness of God, of Christ lives in me. Right? So what are we doing when we put on the new self? What are we saying? We're saying, Jesus, you already did it all. You already did it all. That's putting on the new self. I'm in you, and your spirit is in me, so I'm trusting you and I'm believing by faith what the word says about me. We got to learn to have faith and believe what the word of God says about us. Don't let Satan define who you are. Stop letting yourself be defined by what Satan is telling you who you are. Believe in who you are in Christ, what the word of God says about you. So in due time, he'll bring things to our attention that need adjustment, and he'll give you and I the grace to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to comply with the change. All we got to do is believe, trust, and then when he leads us to do something, with the grace he gives us to execute. Am I boring you, or is everyone slipping to third heaven? Are we about to be raptured? I don't know. Remember last week I said, oh, we should get this phrase out of, our <laughs> out of our mouths. Oh, it's so hard. How much do we say that? Oh, it's so hard. I ca- guess what I said this week. Again. Oh, God, it's so hard. Uh, now every time I say that, I could just feel the Holy Spirit saying, you're right, it's very hard. And you can't do it. I don't expect you to do it. That's why Christ already did it. So just believe it by faith and move on. <laughs> it's, it sounds funny. I mean, I'm laughing because it's so simple, but we just make things so complicated. So I had a plan that Friday because I was very excited about home fellowship. So I'm like, we're going to go to home fellowship. I, I want to go on time. I want to be in the, in the body. I want to fellowship. And before, I'm going to prepare for today's message. And Wednesday night, I had one of the worst work days, just, you know, as far as workload is concerned. So from 8 a.m. to 8.30 p.m., I was in the office. And then I came home and ate something, and then I had to do a couple more hours that night. I had to get something out of the way, okay? Next day, workload wasn't so bad. I had some stuff in the morning, but we were invited to a graduation ceremony. Long graduation. It was great. After they said, let's go to dinner, I said, I am going to let go and just eat whatever I want, okay? So I'm pretty disciplined during the week. I'm someone who food really affects me. So I just can't let myself go and eat whatever I want or I'll be, you know, a wreck. But I'm like, let's do this. So I ordered the worst thing that you could imagine and I tried to make myself feel better. I said, "I'll, I'll upgrade the side to a salad. But then I scarfed down half of these fries. And then I washed it all down with the pineapple margarita maybe two, but no one's counting. Uh, and then they ordered three different kinds of chocolate dessert, okay? And you know me and chocolate, so I ate all of it. And then as we were leaving, I saw this beautiful new store in Burbank with these lights outside. And I'm not even into macaroons, but they just looked so good. I just see a sea of macaroons, and I felt like they were saying, Arlen, come. You've already let it go, just come. <laughs> We went in there and got a box of macaroons. And 
Long story short, in the morning, I just felt terrible. It was the stress of the work week, eating bad, and the next day is Friday. And my plan was home fellowship and uh, preparing for my message. And I just, when, when they say you woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, I just felt so terrible in the morning. So terrible. Now, I'm not saying it's a, I'm trying to make a point. It's something very simple, but I'm trying to make a point here. The enemy will usually start from early in the morning, and if he can get you to take your focus off of him and God and the good things, you just go off of the wrong track. So immediately I was just, oh, I just, I li- folks, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I was so drained. I had a good meal, okay, <laughs> the night before. Anyways, so what did I do? I said, I can't go on, I, I'm not going to let this day go to waste. You know, I, I have prep for Sunday to do. I want to, because I care what kind of a mood I bring into a meeting. You know, I don't want to go into a home fellowship with burdens and, and down, and I'm not saying don't bring your burdens to the church and we'll pray. No, I, I'm just saying I don't want to be in a bad attitude and go there. I think that can really affect the flow of the Holy Spirit. So I just said, you know what, I got to hold on to some scripture that's going to help me get through this. And I just remembered the verse that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. So right off the bat, it kind of took my focus off of what I'm going through. And you might, you might be going through something a million times worse. Again, just a corny example, but it's his day. So the moment we open our eyes, we got to shift our thinking. This isn't my day and what I'm going to do. This is his day. And I want to go one step further and say, we got to start waking up and saying, God, what do you have planned for me today? What do you want me to do? Is there something for your body that you want me to accomplish? Is there something for the kingdom that you want to further? How can I fit your plan and purpose? Not how can I bring you down to my mess? I, I, I really believe, church, that we got to start shifting our focus a little bit. Early in the morning, Lord, how can I help you? What do you have for me to do? Instead of what can you do for me? And again, it's not doing in your own strength. He'll, and every day is not going to make you convert 100 people to Christianity. That's not the point. I'm saying in the little things, how can we be of service? How can I represent you, etc.? I think we get the point. Faith is a fight, one big fight between the word of God and the realities in the Bible and the enemy's lies. The enemy just loves to just put thoughts in our head, and if he can, can get us to shift our focus on the realities of Christ, he's got us, church. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it one more time because a few of you weren't here. You don't have to think about everything the enemy puts in your mind. Everything that comes to your mind is not a thought that you have to dwell on. Amen? The Bible says hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're not supposed to just sit around and entertain every thought that comes to our head. Thoughts of being down, thoughts of our past, thoughts of depression, thoughts of someone annoyed me. We don't have to entertain all these thoughts. I'm so glad the Bible says you've, you've been given the mind of Christ He's given us Christ's mind to be able to show us that this thought is not correct. Resist the devil immediately, James says. Resist him and he'll flee from you. Don't take it in, dwell on it, think about it. If something's bringing you down, that's not a thought. First of all, God never injects your heads with thoughts. God will never inject your head with thoughts. God speaks to your spirit. Thoughts are usually, if, you, if there's a thought that you can't stop thinking about, that's the enemy. There's nothing biblical about a, com- a compulsive thought that you constantly are thinking about. Jesus in the wilderness, each time Satan tempted him, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, what is he doing? He's attacking his identity in Christ. He's attacking who he is in Christ and the power he, or in, Jesus, in God, the Father. Wh- attacking who his identity is in the Father. And that's exactly how he works in our lives. So that was the summary of the last couple messages, and now we're going to today's topic.
No, now it's all good. This is all now uphill. Now, okay, so the, the Bible says, how does faith increase? Hearing the word of God. The best way that we can increase faith is to learn a little bit more of who God is. Let's learn a little bit about his characteristics, shall we? No more of this devil and thoughts and all this stuff. Let's go to the good stuff. So the next slide, I love it because, shall we have it up? Okay. Because <laughs> the word father is so, uh, is we, we try to make, every, we act so spiritual. Oh, father, my father. When have I ever looked at my dad and said, father, if you'll do this, come on, he's our dad. That makes you kind of make it feel more real, right? God's very nature is to be a father. Before the foundation of the world, what did you have? A father-son relationship. I'll never understand that. And I think that's one of the things that we might not fully ever comprehend. Why was in before everything was created, it was God and Jesus, a father-son relationship. And everything was made for the son and through the son and by the son. That's going to be the first question I have when I go to heaven to ask, <laughs> to ask God. So the nation of Israel, because God is so big, he's so big, and I think it's very useless for him to have just released them out of Egypt and said, oh, I'm your father. They wouldn't have understand what, what, what that even means. Okay, what does that mean? Have you ever asked yourself that? What does it mean God is our father? What, what are the attributes, what are the qualities of the father? So God shows the nation of Israel his different characteristics. For instance, his provider. We love the song Jireh, right? It's, it says, God, you're a provider. What other qualities of God are there? He's a protector. He protects us. He's a banner. He's a defender of widows. Isn't that interesting? In the old days, if you were widowed, you would be taken advantage of because you couldn't just go out there and make a living. So God is a defender of widows. He's a God of justice. This is one of my favorite qualities of God. We look around the world and we say some stuff is so unfair, but God is a God of justice, and he has the last word. When you read uh, Ahab and Jezebel's story, they did all sorts of bad things, but you know when God got the most angry? So right next to the palace, there was a vineyard, and this guy named Naboth had a vineyard there. And Ahab loved it. He wanted to start an herb garden. Who likes, who, who wants to have a little herb garden in there? Not like a food herb, okay? Foods and vegetables and tomatoes and things like that. So... <laughs> Ahab wants this garden, wants this plot of land, this vineyard, and he goes and asks the guy, I'll pay you for it. I'll pay you what it's worth. And the guy says, no, this is my inheritance. This is what my family has left me. Well, he goes home. He's huffing and puffing. He's all mad. And then Jezebel comes down, and I could just imagine her just like coming down, like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he says, this guy next door the palace is not listening. He does, he does not want to sell me this vineyard. And she says, what kind of a king are you? I'll deal with it. So you know what she does? She makes two men. First, she makes it so that he goes into the city center. She makes two men accuse him of things he didn't do, and they stone him to death. Then she comes home, and she says, the vineyard's yours. You wanted it, you take it. Okay. And God doesn't even get, you don't even see God reacting so mad when Jezebel was killing the prophets of God. But when he, she did something unfair, unjust, that's when he went crazy and he said, I'm going to destroy you, your whole family, your whole line. God does not stand for injustice. He's a God of justice. I love that quality of him. But even in that, when Ahab gets downcast, tears his robes. God tells the prophet, do you see how Ahab has changed his attitude? So you know what? Just for the sake of him showing some 
remorse, thank you, just because he showed some remorse, I'm not going to let any of this happen in his lifetime. So that just shows how much grace God has. He's a healer. God's a healer. He heals our infirmities, mental, emotional, physical, whatever it is. He shows mercy, and his fatherhood encompasses every characteristic of God. Every characteristic of God is encompassed in his one role, and that's his role as a father. In Galatians 2.23, it says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we may be justified by faith, which we all are if we accept Jesus as our Savior. Now that this faith has come, you are no longer under that guardian of law, trying with your efforts, with whatever. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God because you were such a great person. Because you're so beautiful. No. Through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So God has one son, one perfect son, the only acceptable son. When we accept him through faith, he deposits us, he takes us and he puts us in that son and we all become children of God. I'm so happy that I am a child of God. And you know what this says to us? That nothing will change the fact that you are a child of God. He has changed your heritage. He has changed your DNA. I, I, I don't know if it was Watch Manny or T. Austin Sparks who said, once you accept Christ as your Savior, you, you, you become his child, you could renounce him one day, you can say he's not my father. Will it ever change the fact that he's your father? It's a one and done deal. Some people don't like to hear that because they say, oh, that if you were, I, I don't think if you truly believe you would renounce, but trying to show an extreme example that nothing you can do can change the fact that he's your father. And you know what? We have a right to be his children. Uh-oh, you didn't like that. That sounds too boastful. That sounds too proud. We have a right to be his children because of what, God, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Sometimes we go to him so worried. Are you there, God? If you could only help me do this. We are his children. Who has children? You don't have to raise your hand. I know your arms are tired. Do your kids have to do anything to come to you and ask for something? I think some of you may be difficult children. You're, I mean, difficult parents. You're like, nothing will change your new nature as child of God. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'd say repeat after me, but I think it's getting old. Can you just say I'm a child of God? Oh, my Lord. Can you just say I'm a child of God and believe it? I'm a child of God. Oh, my gosh. We're getting a little better. We have to be a little bit more bold when we approach God. God is... I think sometimes, not all the time, God sometimes doesn't want to give us what we're asking for because we're too afraid to ask it. And we sugarcoat. And we approach him with all sorts of religiosity. And maybe if you can, Lord, do this for me. Maybe if you can. Now, I'm not saying everything we ask for is going to give it to you. But does it hurt to ask with boldness? Would you want your child to beat around the bush when they come to you and ask for something? Would you want them to call you and, or use a 
uh, walkie-talkie. I'm outside, Mom. I'm outside, Dad. Uh, do you think I can get this from you? Do you think you can help me? In, would you like that? You would be like, are you crazy? Break the door down. Or you have the key, open the door and come in and ask me whatever you want. I think God is training us to be a little bold with him. Some of the characteristics of the fatherhood of God. The first one, he's interested. He's interested in every facet of your life. There isn't one area of your life he, he doesn't show an interest. I don't care how mundane it is. I don't care how small you think it is. He's interested in everything. And it's our responsibility, church, to involve him because he'll never force himself into anything. It's our responsibility to involve him in every facet of our lives. You're married, involve him in your marriage. You have children, involve him in your parenting. You have a job, involve him in your career. Whatever it is, involve him. I spent too many years doing whatever I wanted to do, and then once I made my decisions, I lined up all my ducks. Lord, bless it and open the door. Involve him from the beginning, from the get-go. I can't tell you how I learned this the hard way. And I learned it through my schooling. So, I mean, I had such a difficult time going through school. There were multiple times where I just wanted to give up. Everything that can possibly go wrong happened to me. Oh, that one class you took didn't count. Oh, the computer failed, it, it miscounted something. Oh, one time for four semesters in a row, I was randomly selected to do a lengthy background check before I could get some grant money. I had to go with my mom to this governmental building and show all this proof because I was randomly selected. It rarely ever happened. It happened to me four semesters in a row. I was so tired and exhausted. Well, God showed me gradually to involve him from the beginning, which is what I did in my third year of law school. So your third year of law school, your job is very important because you want to maybe get hired and not have to worry about after the bar looking for a job. So I applied to a bunch of places. I involved God in the whole process, and guess what happened? Every single door was closed, except for the one door that I didn't want that was unpaid, that I had to pay for gas. I had to drive an hour and a half in traffic every morning to go to Century City. Then in traffic, I had to drive from Century City to go to school. Then I, from school, I had to drive back night after night after night after night, and the guy kept promising me, he's a pretty well-known producer, the guy kept promising me after... I'll, I'll hire you. And I said, well, worst case scenario, at least I'll get some experience if I'm, if I'm going to go into entertainment law. COVID hits. I take the bar one day. He calls me and he says, I want you to come work for me, but will you do it for free? I'll never forget that call. I was at the Americana. I was so tired of being used by people in the legal industry working for free for three years. Didn't make a dime in any of my jobs. I said, absolutely not on the phone. I said, I'm not going to do that. I like you a lot. I respect you. And if you change your mind, you, want, you can pay me something. You can call me and, and um, let me know. Well, he never called back. And sometimes when I would think back on that, I would say, what a waste of time. But guess what my boss today told me two months ago? He said, do you know why, what one of the reasons was that we hired you? I said, what? He's like, you had an entertainment job on your resume, and he said, I did some entertainment work, and I know if you're able to deal with entertainment clients, you'll be able to deal with our clients, so we hired you. And let me just tell you where I'm at right now. I walk out of the office every day. I'm like, how did I get this job? I mean, checked off every list in the box. So my point I'm trying to make is when we involve God in things, he might give us a delayed response, but he's a just God. He's not going to let you be used and abused and leave you hanging. He will show his victory in your life. Amen? He's never too busy for us. Was Jesus ever busy? I noticed... I do this a lot. Every time someone asks me, how are you doing? Good, I'm busy. 
Imagine that was Jesus' response. I'm busy. Imagine he was always walking around in a rush. Yeah, yeah, a miracle, I can't right now, I'm busy. We do that sometimes, but he's not like that. He's never too busy for us, and he's never tired of hearing our voice. The next quality, his arms are wide open. His arms are wide open, and he doesn't judge us. So go to him with all your baggage, lay it on the table, and stop beating around the bush. That one you didn't like. Oh, something so terrible I've done. Long time ago, I, I, God forbid I bring that before him. He will never look at his children different, differently. You don't want to believe it. I'm not even a father yet, and I know that I will never look at my kid differently. I don't care what he does. I don't care what he says. I will never judge him and look at him any differently or look down at him. I already know that for a fact. I don't care how bad of a thing he commits. I already have a hard time judging people in general and looking at people differently because when you go through some stuff in your life and you get some fingers pointed at you, it's very, very hard to turn around and point a finger or to look at people in a, in a bad way. But if we who are evil, the Bible says, trying to be so extreme, if we who are evil are able to give amazing, incredible gifts and grace and mercy to our children, how much more is our Heavenly Father able to give us and not judge us and accept us and love us no matter what? The prodigal son thing God said the story because I was going to run out of time. I'm not even going to say the story. Didn't even think. What did you do? Where did you go? What were you up to? Before he's even, even able to, to say the words, throws his arms around his son. He doesn't care. Not that he doesn't care if you do bad things. I'm, I'm just trying to say grace is always there. And he's always quick to forgive. God is quick to forgive. One of the things that we're supposed to do as Christians, obviously not in our own strength, quick to forgive. I sense grudges in this. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> How bad is it when we hold a grudge, right? Quick to forgive, he says. And his arms are wide open, but he knows everything that is going on with you. So the reason why he didn't care to ask the prodigal son a thing is because he already knew everything he went through, what he was thinking, how he felt. That's how he is with us. He just knows it all. So there's no use trying to hide anything from God. It says he, David said he perceives my thoughts from afar. Before we even approach him, he's already perceiving our thoughts. Next characteristics, characteristic, he loves you. Not good enough. I didn't like that, amen. He, <laughs> I saw that. He loves you, church. Amen. Amen. I have this vision of God. I had a vision of God. I had to, sorry. So I have, this <laughs> I have this vision of God. He's like, we're sleeping, and he's laying and just in love with us, and I'll never understand why. He's not in love with, the ug with my ugly face. He's in love with just how he made me, okay? He loves you. You know it's a sin to hate yourself. You're not supposed to, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says hate yourself, hate how you look, hate your personality. Yes, our flesh is being crucified. That's what he does. He adjusts us to be what he wants us to be. 
but he made you in a very specific way, and he doesn't want you to look at other people and say, I want what they have, I want to look like that person, I want to have this person's gift. Every single one of us is important in the body of Christ. We have our own gifts, we have our own call, we have our own purpose, and he loves us so much, and he made us unique. Amen? Oh, you're preaching self-love. I'm not. We love who we are in him. I love who I am in Christ. I might not fully believe it right now, but I'm, I'm going to just say it. Arlen, eh, there's a lot of problems, but I love who I am in Christ. After Israel did all these bad things, all these bad things are on the verge of going under captivity again after all God did for them. You know what God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3? I have loved you with an everlasting love. That just gives me chills reading that because if you read it chronologically, what they did, how disgusting, bad, all the terrible things, and he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I'll let you go through a fire because I'm training you, but I still love you with an everlasting love. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But I want to focus on this. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. So one more, or I think I have two more qualities. To be in this father-child relationship, he had to make us new. So one of his qualities is he makes you new. He takes old, dead, rotting away things and he makes them new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, exclamation mark. The new is here. But all this is from God, who, reconcil who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been re I mean, that's a big word. We've been reconciled to him. Inextricably intertwined. There's no way you can take yourself apart from him. We grow from him. He is the vine where the branches, we grow from Christ in this new life that we've received. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh, 10 years ago. 18 years ago. Oh, two years ago. Two weeks ago. Always thinking about the past. He doesn't count people's sins against them. You know what Satan does? He tempts us to do something wrong. Tempts us. That's not sin. It's on my heart to say this. We are sometimes tem tempted to do bad things. But that's not sin. Once we act on it and we do it, it's sin. But he tries to make us feel like there's something innately wrong with you if you have, a, let's say, a compulsion to always be angry, for instance. Oh, that's, that's who you are. That's innately part of who you are. No. You've just acted upon that so much, that temptation he's put on, that maybe it's become a problem. But you know what? He took that old and he nailed it to the cross. Consider yourself dead. Stop thinking that that's part of who you are. It's not. It's something that Satan is trying to tempt you with, entice you to do, and we don't have to do it anymore. Why? Because God has given us the power within to not do it, to fight. He works in us to will and to do to even want to do God's will and then to execute his will. 
And continuing from 2 Corinthians, now that I (laughs) went off on a tangent, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ, this is who you are in Christ, okay? Almost done. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. God can't make his appeal to the world by himself. There's, it's very limited. He uses us to make his appeal through us to the world, and not just to the world, to the powers and principalities of darkness. That's how powerful we are in Christ. Last but not least, I should have put this first because maybe it's ending on a little bit of a Oh, darn, I have to go through some stuff in life. He toughens us up. Should I put that first? Let's go back to love. Who he loves, he also disciplines, the Bible says. Now, again, don't go off on a, you know, slippery slope. Oh, everything that happens bad, I'm being disciplined. No. From time to time, he will allow certain things to come into our lives He'll give us the grace to handle it. But he's training us to be mature sons. This whole thing that I've been sharing about is about spiritual maturity. Faith is useless. All this is useless if the goal is not to become mature Christians. Spiritual maturity, why? Because God has his ultimate plan and purpose. And to accomplish it, I'm not gonna, it's a different topic. I'm not going to go into it. But he wants mature sons and daughters. It's not enough for, God hates mediocrity. Just enough is not good enough. He wants us to go all the way. So he allows some situations, some testing to come to make us a little bit tough. In 2 Corinthians 16 says, therefore we do not lose heart. What what are you going through? Anything terrible on your mind? Some long, tragic journey, something that you've been tired of going through? Yeah? We do not lose heart. (laughs) (laughs) Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Outwardly, we look at ourselves, we're getting old, we're getting weaker, we're deteriorating, it seems sometimes, you look in the mirror, right? The The outer man is wasting away. Look at this promise. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. He's put a life in us that has energy. He's put a life in us that has peace. He's put a life in us that has joy. He's put a life of us that has understanding. Take your mind off of you and your shortcomings. Place it on him and what he's put in you. And in times of need, when we need that energy, he gives it. He's so faithful. And then he li- listen to how he describes our problems because the reward is so big. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Does, does your problem feel light and, moment and momentary? No, it feels like the end of the world, right? But in God's eyes, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What he's trying to accomplish in our lives after we go through some of these hard times is something so incredible. It's something so incredible and it outweighs any trouble that we have. So what does it say to do? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, faith. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you want to go all the way with God? Do you want to be a mature son and a mature daughter? Truly, is that what you want? I can say without a shadow of a doubt right now, that's what I want. That's one of the things I absolutely want. I want to go all the way with him. So we have a promise. Do you know what that is? And we know that in all things... All good things, 
all bad things, all trials, all tribulations, the dark times, the good times. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. If you want to go all the way with him, if you want to conform into the image of likeness of Christ, if you want to become a mature son and daughter, you are called according to his purpose because you've, you've said yes to his plan and purpose. So you're called according to his purpose, and if that's what you've done and that's what you do, all things God will work for your good. I don't care how... The worst thing you're going through, the worst thing you've gone through is going to be the key to get you in the kingdom. He won't let it go to waste. People are stretching now. Arlen, we're over this. We're done. (laughs) Well, good news. I am done. Okay? All right, so... Again, if we don't apply some of this to our lives, what a waste. But it's a life of rest, church. Be rested in who you are in Christ. And I wish I had my Bible on me. Let's make a deal. Let's start reading the Word a little bit more. Let's tap into the Word together. Let's not even let a day go by without something Because the more we read, the more we learn, the more we hear from him, our faith gets stronger, and that work is a lot easier to do in our lives. Amen? Shall we pray together? Is there a song or no song? You want to leave and enjoy Father's Day? Okay. I'll wrap it up with a prayer, and then we can just get out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you that uh, you shared some of the stuff that, or allowed me to share some of the stuff that you put on my heart, Father, and I really, really hope that none of this comes off in any way. I mean, this should be taking a a burden off of our shoulder, Lord, just resting in you and having faith in you, Father. So I really uh, pray that whatever I've shared over these last three weeks, Father, you know what parts is needed for each person, Lord. So, and I believe and I trust that you're faithful to, to give whoever needs something that you'll give it to them, Lord. And I pray that you you keep this church going, Lord. Keep the fire going, Father. And with faith, we believe that you have big things planned for us and our great days are ahead of us, Lord. Individually and together, Father, because if we can walk in faith, all things are possible and you can move mountains truly. So Lord, right now we're coming to you with a little bit of boldness. And we really want whatever you have for us, to, we want to experience it. We want to receive and experience every single spiritual reality there is, Father. By faith, we accept it, and we know in due time that you're going to make it become a reality in our lives, Lord. Thank you for each and every one of us sitting here, Father. I pray for all the needs, Lord. I pray for whoever has any sickness, Lord. It seems like every day we hear, you know, somebody's sick, somebody's sick. Father, you're a healer. I pray that our, our prayer of healing cover each and every person, Father, and it's really on my heart to bring Anu and Philip from Canada before you, Lord. I pray that your healing be upon them. It's not what the doctor says. It's not what I feel, what I think. It's what your word says, Lord. So by faith, we believe that y- your will will be done in their lives, and whatever it is, it's going to be good and perfect, Lord. I pray that you give them strength, strengthen them in their inner man, as you say in your word, Lord. Give the people around them peace, the peace that you have already given them, Father, but let this, let this be a peaceful time for them not to worry and, and just by faith, confidence, walk this walk of faith, Lord. I pray for any of anybody sitting here with any sort of a physical need, Lord, who... Maybe they don't even know they need it, Father, but I pray for healing, Lord, wherever it's needed, Lord. I pray that you break strongholds, Lord, in this church, if there is one. In someone's mind, maybe it's a stronghold of keeping them in their past. Maybe it's a stronghold of what they did, Father. We come boldly to the throne of grace, leaving everything behind. As Paul says, we press on to the prize that you've set before us, Lord. Thank you so much for the finished work of Christ. And we focus on that 
and we take that with us throughout this entire week. Bless every father here, all the families. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. The meeting is adjourned. God bless you all. Thank you for listening for the last